So we'll be in Luke chapter 7. We're talking about Jesus being um, uh, Jesus and the sinful woman. And our kiddos today, as usual, they've got these. Let me see this. Y'all have got, you've got things you're coloring and you've got the notes. Well, not notes. They actually have, here's the verses we're in for our kiddos. And here's some questions for the kiddos. And there's a word search. And so remember... Kiddos, any of, if you guys want, fill those out or, or color those, and then after church, go up and talk to Nicole, and go show her what you did, and have a question. Take mom and or dad with you, and have a question. Say, this is what I'm going to ask my parents about, and then she'll let you pick something out of the treasure chest. Does that sound pretty cool? We got a deal? Awesome. Okay. And then, again, I'll remind you, too, we keep our kiddos in here. And if we're going to be about families, then we've got to be about families, you know. And so um, I'll remind you as well, we are all going to share the burden of a shared inconvenience. Are you with me on this? Children are sometimes inconvenient. They're sitting down here while I'm praying. Literally, Levi, one of his Hot Wheels almost hits me in the foot. Like, and it's okay. Like, we're okay. I see them, right? And there's so, anyways... Let's walk through this shared inconvenience together because I think the outcome is worth the, the cost. Are you all with me on this? Yeah, that our children are watching us sit underneath the teaching of, of the Lord, that our children are watching their moms and dads worship. I think that's way more worth um, uh, what it costs us to do that. So anyways, they'll be coloring or, or they won't. Jason, you can color that too. I think that's on your level, man. If you want to... I think, yeah, so if you want to go to the treasure chest, that's okay too, so. Okay, so Luke chapter 7, um, this is when, yeah, Jesus is uh, with a sinful woman here. Uh, I'll just start reading through it, and before we do, I want to point out that I like that we sang that song this morning, you and I were made to worship. Were you all listening to those words, by the way? It says that we are created to worship, and so in our culture, we don't have a worship problem, we don't. We have an object of our worship problem. People know how to worship. There's no question. You know, you can watch uh, during football season, you can watch grown men behaving like morons for the sake of, yeah, their team, right? And, and it's funny because we all have something that we worship that other people could look at and say, man, that's really silly and that's really stupid. Like we do it with how we spend our time and our energy and our effort. And point being, we, we don't, it's not that we don't know how to worship. You know that, right? The issue is our object of worship. And that's because we're made to do that. That's because we're made to want to feel small. I'll repeat that. There's something in your soul that wants to feel tiny next to something huge, right? This is why when people need a vacation and they want to get away, and where do they go? They go to what? The mountains? Or they go to the Grand Canyon? Or even they go to the big city? Why is that? Have you been to New York City? It, you feel tiny, insignificant. Or they go to the ocean? Why is that? We go to these things that, that besides the city, these natural things that make us feel what? Tiny. Why? Because that's written on your DNA that we are made to feel tiny. We're made to stand in awe of something amazing that can, by the way, destroy us in a second without even thinking about it. You know, the mountains, the, the, the oceans, the rivers, like the Grand Canyon, all of these things can kill you in a second, and it wouldn't even think 
uh, he wouldn't even think about it, right? And that's why when we go and stand in awe of these things, there's something that stirs in our soul that now suddenly we're not looking at ourselves, but we're looking at the awesomeness of this thing. Why? Because we're made to worship. That's why nobody stands at the foot of a, or, or the edge of the Grand Canyon and says, man, this is amazing. It's almost as amazing as the brisket I smoked last Sunday. Like it was awesome. Nobody does that. Nobody brings up their own accomplishments while you're standing at the foot of a mountain, right? No, nobody has been in the ocean. Have you ever been out in the ocean on a cruise line and you can look around and you cannot see land anywhere, right? And, and that you look down and you have no clue what's straight underneath you. It can go for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet. And in the grand scheme of the ocean, it, what you can see is a tiny tiny speck. Yeah, do you sit there and feel big at that moment? No, we are drawn to those things because we're made to worship. And so today, this story is about a woman who is worshiping Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 7, we'll start in verse 36. 736, it says, so remember, this is just after, I'm just looking at what else has happened. Um, Jesus has just spoken about John the Baptist and his conclusion of his sermon last week, he said, wisdom is proved right by her children. And so what he was saying was that, man, you'll know a tree by its fruit. He says, you, you know the process is working by the outcome. That's what he says. And so then verse 36 is where we pick up. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, okay? And so pause there. So this is a Pharisee. We're going to find out his name is Simon. Um, Jesus has been invited to dinner. For this Pharisee, this is a sign of respect. He respects Jesus. And at the same time, it would be an honor to have this rabbi in his household, okay? And so that was kind of a big deal. And so Jesus, what we're going to see here is, is he's eating and drinking um, with sinners. And it's also um, interesting to point out that the, uh, the placement of this passage, have you noticed that uh, the Pharisee invites this man that everybody is saying uh, he's, he's this sinner or, you know, everyone has these complaints about Jesus. Did you also notice and remember that just before one of their biggest complaints was that Jesus would eat and drink with sinners and then here we are immediately the Pharisee says, hey, you will you come eat and drink with me? Do you see the immediate hypocrisy there? Do you notice the placement of it? There's a little bit of irony there, right? And so Jesus is eating and drinking with sinners, and it says, verse 7, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Okay, so a couple things here. This, this uh, text, you know, it says this woman was a sinner. There's some, there's some conjectures we can make, but they're at least educated. This lady was most likely a prostitute um, at the time. She she most likely kind of crashed the party, right? She, she probably wasn't invited, but when someone would have a rabbi in their home, it was kind of an open door 
policy that people could enter. And so that's, you'll see no one really panics when she walks in. She just kind of walks in. And you can imagine people are kind of like, you know, it, it's kind of like a wedding. You know what I mean? At like a wedding that, 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 yeah, have you ever crashed a wedding where you're not invited? And some people may be like, I don't think this guy's supposed to be here, but we're not going to say anything. That's okay. And so again, I'm, I'm just saying this to try to paint the picture. Are you painting the picture? Okay. So they're sitting here and, and they're here to listen to this rabbi and this woman walks in and that's okay. Um, and she's a sinful woman, probably a prostitute. And it says that, um, it says, and this is another probably, she probably had listened to Jesus earlier, okay? The reason I want to point that out is because she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfume, okay? Sometimes you'll see this story read and understood that she walks in, and that was the first time she had encountered Jesus. And, and what I'm going to argue this morning is that's not the case. And we'll see why here in a second. We'll go to the original Greek. But I want, again, to paint this picture that she had had an encounter with Jesus earlier, and now she is responding to what had happened that other time. You know, she's bringing this alabaster jar of perfume, and she didn't just carry that around with her, most likely. Y'all see that? Okay, it would be very strange. It's like, do you guys remember, like, again, this, this makes me think, and it makes a lot of people think that this was a premeditated thing that she said, hey, I know Jesus is gonna be here, and I want to go bring this offering to him. Probably premeditated. Do you guys remember, like, in college, the guy that played the acoustic guitar. Do you, do you guys remember this guy? And he would always just bring it with him. Was it just me? And there, there was always the guy that like, you'd turn around and he's like, hey guys, I happen to bring my guitar. And you're like, oh, here we go. Here comes Wonderwall. And he's gonna sing with his eyes closed. And it's like, and, and all the girls are like, oh my gosh, an acoustic guitar. Which I play the acoustic guitar and that's how I got uh, Kinsey, by the way. I'm telling you, young men, just learn the acoustic guitar. I'm just saying. You, you don't even have to play it. Just learn the first part of a John Mayer song. And, and, but point, point being is I, I just remember this growing up. It's like there would be guys, and I, I made a decision. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be the guy that just, that just comes along and says, hey, I happen to have my guitar here. Anyone want to sit around in a circle and close their eyes and sing? I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. But there was always that dude that would just show up and be like, I just happened to bring my guitar, and I wanted to be like, no, you didn't. This was, you don't just walk around with an acoustic guitar, and, and suddenly, it's like, point being, you bringing that guitar was premeditated. You knew what you were doing. You had a plan, but you're going to pretend like it wasn't. What, why am I telling this story? Because the woman, when she comes in, she has this jar of perfume, and she had premeditated she had thought through of what she's going to do. This was not just showing up and singing with her eyes closed, playing Wonderwall. This was, hey, this is what I want to happen, right? And so keep going here. It says that she, uh, as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Okay, so pause there. She's behind him at his feet. And if you know anything about the way that they would eat, they didn't have tables like we had. They didn't have tables and chairs. Their table was a, just a little rise up off the ground. And they would sit by laying on the ground and they'd recline. And most people were right-handed, so they'd recline on their left hand and they'd face the table. And so that's why his feet are behind him. That's why she's behind him weeping. Um, a lot of pictures you'll look up, even the one the kids are uh, coloring this morning, has Jesus 
and a bunch of white guys sitting around at like a card table. Like, it's, and I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, okay, they, you know, it, but they still get the point of the story, but I'm like, and of course, yeah, it's a, and so, um, and Jesus looks super feminine. Again, as usual, his hair is beautiful, um, but that's why she's sitting behind him, and it says she's weeping. Uh, it says she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on uh, them. And so time out there real quick. So in order to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, she had to lower her hair. Okay, right? I, I don't imagine she's like short, super short hair like Sinead O'Connor, like wiping his feet on her scalp. Instead, what it was was she would have lowered her hair in order to wipe his feet with her hair. And at that time, that was uh, unheard of for women to lower their hair in public. Okay, that was shameful. That brought shame upon her. It was not socially acceptable for her to do this. Right? She was humiliating herself for the sake of her Lord. And so think about this. She had this moment where she said, this, I want to worship this man. I want to worship the Lord. And, and she had this moment where the truth of God and what her culture told her were in conflict. Please see this. And I hope I don't have to explain it too far. There was this moment where God's truth and what the culture said was acceptable were in conflict. Anyone else? You thinking through your day, you thinking through your weeks, you thinking through your life that, man, I'm telling you, God does not call us to live comfortably in all of our cultural standards. In fact, he calls us to look way different than our culture looks. But Russell, we're in a Christian culture. No, you're not. No, you're not. This is a religious culture, okay? And so the Lord will regularly call you to where his truth and what the world says for you to do is acceptable are in conflict. Can I get an amen from anyone? Are y'all hearing me at all? Yes, right? That I feel that. I feel that like there's a part of me that just wants to be like, I'll, I'll just give up and, and chase my own kingdom and try to be, buy a bigger house and buy a nicer car and get a boat. Like I feel that in me is to chase that money and to get a, a, a bigger paycheck and bigger bank account. I, I feel it in me. And what that is, is that's the culture trying to convince me. And then the truth of the Lord over here is just saying, no, 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 none of that, none of that matters. And there is guys, and I mean, a, and I'm making two fists at, at hitting each other because there is a conflict. Uh, Paul calls it a waging war within his members. Y'all have heard that saying, right? So man, when you feel that in you, know that is uh, the Lord speaking to your heart, okay? And that's where progress happens is where we say, man, I am so conflicted. Good. That means that the Lord is battling uh, inside of you over these things. Anyway, she lets down her hair. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Okay, so uh, this is where it gets important, is that in the, in the original Greek, and I just looked this up. Um, I've got a few references online. I'm not a, a Greek guy. I'm not that smart. But I've looked this up enough to know that where it says there that she kissed his feet, and anointed them, uh, that was not a one-time event, okay? The original Greek, the tense of that suggests that that was a, a repeated and continuous thing, okay? That it wasn't just one time, but that she sat there and did it over and over 
and over, and that she's continually weeping and continually worshiping. And so again, it is this process that keeps growing on itself. Do you see that? Okay, it was not a one-time event. What happens is the more she sits there at the, in the presence of Jesus, the longer she recognizes her sin and the longer she recognizes who Jesus is as God, it produces what in her? Worship. It, 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 something comes out of her in, as a response. And so it's not just this one time, hey, I met this rabbi on the streets earlier. He's a great guy. Let me live my life. But it's this coming back to him and continually weeping at his feet. I mean, and it's this process that the longer she sits there and realizes who this man is and what he's done, that it continues to grow a love for him in her heart. And so this is what I mean. Can you put up that first picture, Matt? Okay, so this is just the first one. Oh, not that one, the next one. Is there one before that? Go back, right there. Okay, so this is what happens when we come to know the Lord is that we realize there's this God up here and that there's man down here and that Jesus fills this gap, that Jesus is the only God-man, right? Is that there's this gap between God and man. And this right here, guys, this recognition produces worship in our lives. Y'all see that? That we see who Jesus is and, and what he's done and that he is the connecting point between God and man. And so this is what it looks like to be a disciple of, of Jesus, is that as I go through my life, two things are going to happen, right? Matt, will you go to that next slide, please? As I go through my life, I am going to continually recognize the goodness of God. Do y'all see this? And the Lord, the longer I get to know him, and the longer I spend time with him, and the, the more I... <laughs> This is really distracting, right? And, and the, the, more, the more I study about the Lord, he becomes greater and greater and greater in my heart and in my eyes. And the more I learn about myself, I realize the wretchedness of who I was. Y'all following me on this? And as my life progresses, as, here I am going through life, as I'm going through life, these two things are happening is that my worship or, or my recognition of who God is is increasing. My understanding of who man is in, his, in, in my original state is also getting more accurate. And as a result, Matt, go to that last one. Jesus Christ, as my life goes on, my understanding of him grows and grows and grows. So y'all follow me on this? And so this is what's happening with this woman. As she's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, she does not stay right here. She doesn't just live in the, hey, yay, my sins are forgiven. What she does is she is continually recognizing and weeping at Jesus' feet. And, and she is understanding who she is and who God is. And as a result, Jesus is growing and growing in her eyes. And that is what produces worship, right? And so let me be very forward for a minute. The reason some of you guys can't worship is because you're not, you're not doing this. I'm going to be very forward. The reason some of you, maybe some of you in this room, you, you just don't have a heart for the Lord that's growing as it should. The reason might be because your understanding of God is not increasing. 
that you think he's still, you know, it, it stays right here. You think, oh yeah, God's great, that's great. And you don't understand the wretchedness that man is. You don't understand the depth of the grave that Jesus pulled you out of. And if you pay attention, our culture will always try to keep you right here. If you pay attention, right? In our culture, there's no, there's no, oh man, we don't have ears for this idea of that man is born wretched and that we need to be reborn. We have, we have no ears for that. We have no ears for that the Lord is increasing uh, in my sight over and over. And we don't have ears for that. And so this is why, again, just do some self-reflection. This is why so many believers, they stay right here and their whole Christian life, honestly, I, I think even their love for Jesus shrinks. Why is that? Because they're not seeing the greatness of God and they're not seeing the wretchedness of man. And Jesus Christ just kind of just stagnates, right? Y'all with me on that? So look, keep your finger right here. Go to Philippians chapter 3. I want to point out what this looks like. So we're going to look at when Paul writes to the church in uh, Philippi. Philippians chapter 3 verse, um, uh, verse 6. No, no, verse 4. Verse 4. No, no, verse 2. Verse 2. Sorry. Okay. So this is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. I'm just going to read when Paul describes himself. Listen to how he describes himself, okay? Verse 2, he says, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so time out. He's just pointed out the glory of Jesus, and then he says what? No confidence in the flesh, right? So Paul's right on, right? This is not... Uh, this is not heretical. His, his, his doctrine is completely right on. And then look how he's about to describe himself. Okay, listen. He says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, do you see the word? Faultless. Do y'all see this? You're right. And then he says, but whatever was my profit, I now count, consider loss for the sake of Christ. Okay. So do you see how Paul is describing himself? And, and those are accurate descriptions. He's not lying. He's not wrong, but this is kind of called the humble brag. Y'all know what a humble brag is, right? It is, yeah, okay. And so this is what I want to point out. Philippians was written very early in Paul's ministry, okay? Early on. Now, this is what I want you to look at. Go to First, <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 1. Just head to the right a little bit. First Timothy is written years later, after Paul has been through hardships, persecutions, sufferings, this is what you're going to see is the image of a man that his understanding of God has grown and his understanding of man has also become more accurate. And watch 1 Timothy chapter 1, go to verse 15. I want you to see as Paul matures, I want you to see how he now describes himself. Verse 15, 
Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's his entire description. Do you see how it changes? He says what? Of whom I am the worst. Right? Is this a humble brag? Uh-uh. This, he's preaching truth here. Right? He goes from, as his first description of himself was, as to the law, faultless. And now as he has grown in maturity, and again, this isn't self-deprecating, this isn't hate yourself, none of that, but he recognizes when it comes to the sinners, do you want to know? And the original Greek says, I am chief of all sinners. So why do you think Paul's um, worship of Jesus increased and increased and increased? Because his understanding of himself became more accurate and his view of God became more uh, great and accurate. And as a result, Jesus Christ, his affections for Jesus grew and grew and grew and grew. Y'all follow me on this? And so I love that you can see that years later, Paul, when he describes himself as much much different. Go back to Luke 7. Let's fi- uh, finish that. So she has been, she kissed her feet, his feet and poured perfume on them. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. So let me point out there real quick, this Pharisee whose name is Simon, his concern is not what is happening, but who is doing it. Okay? Again, the concern is not why is she doing that. The concern is why is she doing that? Okay? And then Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And look at his response. Tell me what? teacher, rabbi. Again, he's showing an outward respect for Jesus, but in his heart, he's still questioning if this guy were even a prophet. And by the way, by this point, remember, he has literally raised people from the dead, right? He has he quoted uh, the authority of Scripture based on his own authority, and here's this man who says, I don't even know if this dude's a prophet, but he's still showing him outward respect. You see that? Anyways, verse 41, And then Jesus tells this short little parable. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. And that's about equal to like uh, uh, two years wages versus two months wages. And then he said, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And then Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman. Now, keep in mind, as they're having this conversation, here's, here's our woman who's still continually weeping and, and cleaning Jesus' feet. This is all happening. And so you can see I mean, you can see that Simon asks this question and Jesus answers, and then the camera slowly turns. If this were a movie, the camera turns, and who have we forgotten about? This woman's still sitting here, still worshiping at the feet of her Savior. And Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, please look at that. He turns to the woman, 
but he's speaking to this guy, and he says, do you see this woman? First of all, that's a pretty dumb question, right? If if it's just a surface level question, but this question clearly has two meanings. He's He's not just asking, do you see this woman? Dude, everybody saw that woman. She was weeping at his feet. So, do you see this woman has two, questions, two meanings. One is, well, do you see her? The answer is yes. That's kind of rhetorical. The second reason he's actually asking this is because he's asking, not, not do you see her, but do, do you see her? Do you know what I mean? It's not just, yeah, I see you, but no, I, I see what's happening in your life, okay? And so let me challenge you real quick off to the side. Man, people are hurting, and people do not feel seen or heard. And so I want you, maybe that's all you hear today. Take that question from the Lord, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. Jesus may be asking you, hey, do you see that guy? And you say, yeah, yeah, I see him. No, 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 no. Do you see him? Do you see what's happening in his heart? Anyways, a little challenge there. I came into your house and watch what Jesus is about to do. He's about to do a huge cultural no-no, right? He's, he's about to... Um, pretty pointedly insult his host. This is something you wouldn't do even today. Like that's pretty, it's pretty culturally rude, right? But somehow not sinful still. He says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves very little. And, and so I even love the fact that he says, uh, I tell you, who, uh, he says, she's, she's done all these things, and then he says, but he who has forgiven little loves very little. Did you notice how he says, you didn't, she did. You didn't, she did. You didn't, she did. And then he says, but he who loves very little. Who's he describing? Simon. But I, I like even at that point, he doesn't say you. I like that he lets him draw his own conclusions. You know what I mean? He says, I'll let, you, I'll let you wrestle with that truth. And he says, yeah, he who has been forgiven little loves very little. And so I'm just going to read this quote. I thought this was great. If you have but slightly experienced the forgiveness of God, is that because your sins are so tiny? Or is the slightness of your experience a result of the measure of your repentance? I'll read that last sentence one more time. If the slightness of your experience, remember, if Jesus is still tiny in your eyes, is that because you sin so little? And there is an answer to that, but I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions, just like Jesus did. I see what I did there. If Jesus is still tiny in your eyes, is that because your sins are so tiny, or is it because it's a result of your measure of repentance? Right? And so to be a big sinner is not the worst thing. The worst thing is not to ask for and receive forgiveness. And then verse 48 says, Then Jesus said to her, 
your sins are forgiven. And so here's this question, and this is very important. Were this woman's sins forgiven before or after this moment? Okay. Um, Or to say, is her love, think about this, is her love the reason for forgiveness or is her love for Jesus the response to forgiveness? Okay, let me explain something here. That phrase where it says your sins are forgiven, again, in the original Greek, it doesn't say this in our English Bibles. In the original Greek, it has the, the, the tense of uh, your sins have been and remain forgiven. And so when Jesus says that phrase, it is not from this second forward. In the original language, it has the tense of past, present, and future. And so Jesus is saying to her, your sins have been, are, and will remain forgiven. Again, this points to the fact uh, that this lady, this was not her first encounter with Jesus. Okay, is that she had come to encounter him earlier, that something had happened. We don't have the record of it, but that the, she then comes in in response to forgiveness. She now has this love that's pouring out for the Lord. And it's not her love leads to forgiveness. It's that the forgiveness leads to her outpouring of love. Do you see the difference there? Big distinction. Her love is the evidence of forgiveness already received, not the reason for it. And then verse 49, he says, The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? For some reason, Luke wants us to know the thoughts of the other diners. And they're asking, how can anyone do this? Right? Only God himself forgives sins. And Jesus, did you notice, he doesn't say, In the name of God, your sins are forgiven. Right? He says, your sins are forgiven. He has the complete authority to say that and do that. Right? And so this is, again, another way that Jesus is saying, I am God. And then the last thing he says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so uh, let me close with this. The verse before this, you remember Jesus says, wisdom is proved right by her children. You all remember that? This is an instance of wisdom being proved right by her children. Right? That, that sinners, this woman, are proving wisdom right. How? By the response of repentance and worship, not just acknowledging that God's way is right. That's what it says also. It says that everybody acknowledged God's way was right. But this woman, this is what it looks like for wisdom to be proved right by her children. And again, people were seeing this and they were having difficulty with the process. They said, that's not how it should happen. It shouldn't happen through this prostitute doing it this way. And Jesus says, bro, you know a tree by its fruit. That's it, right? And so that's, um, that's my prayer for us, man. Guys, just keep that image of the greatness of God growing in your life, the truth of who you are growing so that Jesus Christ would be magnified and result in worship. Um, and so that's all I have to say. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for your church, and thank you for your word. And God, I pray that we would, uh, that you would give us supernatural discernment to see you for who you are, and that you're not, you're you're not just an extra side. You're you're not just a, 
uh, afterthought. You are the God of the universe, that you speak things into being, and that there's an incredible, incredible power and fear that should come with even just thinking of you, like that Moses couldn't even look at you without dying. And Lord, I pray that we would understand who we are. Uh, and I don't mean that, that we would hate ourselves or, or self-deprivation, uh, but I mean that we would understand, Lord, that we would come to slowly, as we grow, we'd come to realize, man, of, of all the sinners I am, I am chief of sinners. And we'd stop comparing ourselves to others. That's what Paul did. He went from comparing himself to not. And Lord, that in, in that, that Jesus would be uh, magnified in our lives. And so help us to worship the right things, God. The things that bring peace. That's the last thing Jesus said to her. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Lord, help us to worship the things that bring peace. So this is our prayer. Thank you for your word. Amen.